to Everything a Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year, a weekly devotional series based on readings relevant to the current liturgical season. You can watch this series live on our YouTube page every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for tuning in, and now on to this week's discussion. Welcome. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to to Everything is Season, uh, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year. My name is William Green, and as always, I'm joined by Pastor uh, Brian King. How are you doing tonight, Pastor? Good. How are you, Will? I'm doing well. Uh, So uh, we're here for our third installment. Uh, Last week, we did a devotion based on All Saints Day and talked a bit about the commemoration for the faithful departed as well. Um, Tonight, we have a reading from Martin Chemnitz, and we're kind of going to be structuring our time around that reading. Uh, we celebrated his commemoration. It was a couple of days ago, right, Pastor? Was it yeah, November? Yesterday. Yeah, perhaps it was yesterday. Yesterday. Uh, um, and so uh, tonight we have a reading from Martin Chemnitz from the uh, Treasury of uh, Daily Prayer. Uh, but it's also going to tie in a bit about what we talked about last time uh, with uh, talking about the faithful departed and uh, what it means uh, to die uh, as a Christian and what death uh, means for us. Um, but before we go any further, perhaps uh, we should talk a bit about who uh, Martin Chemnitz is, since we're going to be uh, referencing him uh, quite a bit tonight. Right. He's he's referred to as the, the second Martin. And he was born in 1522 and died in 1586. So just, you know, a little overlap uh, with Luther. But he's regarded as the most important theologian in the history of the Lutheran Church. And I'm reading from the Treasury of Daily Prayer. Chemnitz combined a penetrating intellect and an almost encyclopedic knowledge of scripture and the church fathers with a genuine love for the church. When various doctrinal disagreements broke out after Luther's death in 1546, Chemnitz determined to give himself fully to the restoration of unity in the Lutheran church. He became the leading spirit and principal author of the 1577 Formula of Concord, which settled the doctrinal disputes on the basis of scripture and largely succeeded in restoring unity among Lutherans. And just, you know, you think about it for a minute, you've got this break from the historic church, as it were, not uh, Luther didn't want to break from the historic church, but excommunication uh, kind of brings about a disruption in the fellowship, right? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And so you get this group of people and then you have to teach them something that in so many ways is new to them. So of course questions arose, disagreements arose, and it 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 was complicated. It wasn't easy. People were used to a certain teaching all their lives, and all of a sudden they're shown that well, no, that's not right. Well, okay, but what about that? Is that still right, or is that? So everything had to be hashed out, gone over, everything looked at, uh, and of course, a lot of discussion, lots of prayer, lots of work, and literally decades to try to hammer out what does it mean for us evangelicals. Uh, Lutherans, um, the term Lutheran was a pejorative. It right. was Luther. It was Luther and those doggone Lutherans. <laughs> right. uh, it was never meant as a, Luther didn't want to be the church to be called Lutheran. He wanted it just to be called evangelical. Right. So it took a long time to hammer these things out, and and you see various um, movements in Christendom because the church had gotten a little weird. Um, the clericalism had grown huge. There were um, 
there were just a, a lot of a lot of different things going on, and there were other people involved in this time too. And you think about Gutenberg's work um, in well, not inventing perfectly clearly, but improving the printing press and things like that, which empowered the Reformation, enabled the message to get out. Um, there were people years before Luther who had tried to do some similar work in getting the scripture in, in people's, like John Wycliffe, who, who actually lived from 1328 to 1384, mm. which is, you know, a while before Luther, but he was doing a lot of the same things that Luther did in translating the Bible into the, the language of the people, into English in his case, and trying to limit the power of the, of the clergy, uh, even though he was one. Uh, things like that. So there were a whole bunch of people involved in this Reformation, and it didn't, it it wasn't simple, and it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. Right. Well, I mean, even just when you consider the Lutheran Reformation, so you have all these other Reformations kind of happening alongside, right? You have like Zwingli, and you have Calvin, all these things going on right about the same time. But even if you just consider the Lutheran Reformation itself, so typically when you think about that Re- Reformation, Obviously, the main figure that comes to mind is Martin Luther. But if you read any of Luther's writings, you'll quickly discover he wasn't much of a systematic theologian, right? A lot of his writings aren't systematized. A lot of them are like letters against very specific people or ideas. And so um, Martin Chemnitz was one of the people who came alongside Luther, right? And kind of systematized some of these ideas and made them palatable to uh, a wider audience, right? Yeah, he 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 would have been, as you said, a little more systematic in his approach, mm-hmm. and and he had to be. Luther, a lot of what we have from Luther is sermons, mm-hmm. you know, and writings, and and let's be blunt, rants. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he right. rants about stuff. He yeah, which which is okay, but then you need to take your theology and put it in a in a very logical way so that people can go find the answers to the questions they have, and that's where Chemnitz came in and did a fantastic job. Right. Thankfully, Luther was surrounded by people who would kind of help him in this way because uh, Melanchthon comes to mind as well, right? Yeah. Uh, it wasn't just Martin Luther who was central in making the Lutheran Reformation happen. Uh, he had all these people surrounding him, specifically Chemnitz and Melanchthon, to help him systematize and um, kind of get these ideas out to the public and even in academic circles, right? Yeah, and 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 a wife to keep him straight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's There's so many stories about Luther. One of them was one time that his his wife came into the kitchen. She was wearing dark clothing. And so Martin said to her, who died? And she looked at him and said, well, I figured Christ did by the way you're acting. <laughs> you know, he he did suffer with, you know, he, he if you look back and kind of put a psychologist lens on it, he, he was a bit of a manic depressive. Mm-hmm. I mean, he would work and work through the night. And I mean, I have 55 bound volumes in the other room. Um, of his writings, and that's not all of them. There's there's like eighty, right? Uh, and and that was done with, with you know, with an inkwell and a quill, a feather pen, you know. So he worked hard and got discouraged. Got discouraged. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So as as we talk about the Reformation and we commemorate some of these figures, uh, it's just important to kind of keep in mind the uh, you know the cultural context of all this and the role that these specific people uh, played and. Uh, bringing out these Lutheran confessions, because if you, if you actually read, um, you know, like the Book of Concord and what our confessions say, 
most of that wasn't written by Luther, right? It was all these other supporting people uh, contributing and systematizing uh, these ideas. And that's why um, if you can compare like the, the people we commemorate in the church calendar compared to some of the other Christian denominations compared to Rome, you'll see that we have a few that they don't. Um, we, we, we have Luther, we have Chemnitz, Melanchthon. We even have people like uh, Bach, right? Who is yeah. uh, instrumental in, um, you know, elevating uh, the Lutheran uh, musical scene. In worship life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So all of these people are contributing and all of them are worthy of our attention in uh, some way or another. And so um, tonight we'll, we'll turn our attention to uh, Martin Chemnitz in, in this one passage that we have. Uh, but before we do that, um, there is a gospel reading uh, that kind of sets the stage for uh, what um, Chemnitz is going to be writing about. So should we go ahead and read that? Pastor? Yeah, I can, I can read that. It's a part of the devotion um, from the Treasure of Daily Prayer. Great. Matthew um, 25. Verses 1 to 13. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, this is Jesus speaking. Now, five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Very good. And this is an appropriate reading for a number of reasons. Not only does it contextualize uh, the reading from Chemnitz we're about to read, but also this is a traditional reading for the end of the church year, right? Yeah, which we're approaching quickly. We're, we're coming down on that like a steam train. Yeah, <laughs> right. it, uh, we're getting right there. Right, right. It's uh, at the end of the church year. Uh, we briefly turn our focus to uh, end times matters as we, uh, you know, start to prepare for for Advent and the the new church year to come. Right, and it's kind of neat to do that. Um, if you think about the church year in kind of expanded way, you start with with Christ's birth, and then the year ends with the anticipation of His return, mm-hmm. which you also celebrate during Advent. Right. So, yeah, it's kind of neat. Yeah, it's a great way to close it out. Yeah. All right, so that being said, I'll go ahead and uh, read our section from Chemnitz, if you don't mind, Pastor. No, it's good. Great. Uh, so this is uh, Chemnitz writing on um, a petition from uh, the Lord's Prayer. So writing, but deliver us from evil. We are taught in the petition to lift up our heads, to think upon, and to desire the blessed life to come. This life is eternal where there will be full deliverance from all evil. Because we are too occupied and immersed in the matters and affairs of this world and of this life, we also request that God would inspire, excite, kindle, generate, and preserve in us this thought and desire. The death of the godly is their deliverance from all evil and the beginning of everlasting happiness. Therefore, when we say, deliver us from evil, We desire that our Heavenly Father would keep us from an evil death, 
We ask for his deliverance so that we may not die the death of sinners. We ask that we may uh, not die carelessly in our sins, unprepared without repentance, John 8, 24, but that he would grant us a godly and saving end of this life. We ask to die in the Lord, Revelations 14, 13. Furthermore, we pray that God would put into us a concern and desire to prepare ourselves in advance for those things that are necessary to be properly prepared for death. This is done so that we may be prepared for death because we do not want to be like those who do not have oil in their lamps when the bridegroom comes and calls us, like in Matthew 25. We ask that in the last hour of this life, we may have true repentance, the word, the sacraments, faith, hope, and the spirit of grace and prayer. These things we ask so that when we are to die, we may be found in Christ. In this, this we rightly commend our souls into the hands of our Father. If we are found improperly prepared, we pray that he would not allow this to happen by a sudden unannounced death, but would mercifully grant us time for such preparation. We ask that our death may be a deliverance from all evil and a passage out of this veil of misery into eternal life. Thank you. It's a lot uh, there. It's a lot there, and it, it's 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 kind of heavy, isn't it? It is. <laughs> it, uh, it is. And in some ways, this is a good transition from uh, our last episode because we had talked about some heavy stuff in episode two as well with uh, uh, the commemoration of the faithful departed and celebrating people uh, who had died in the faith. And so this actually goes very well and, and hand in hand with that. It, it does. And there are a couple of verses there that, that you mentioned, um, or you mentioned in the reading. One was the John eight twenty four, And I'm just going to read that. Uh, Jesus is talking to uh, Pharisees and others. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That's hmm. the reference there. And that's the, that's the big dividing point, right? Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. The sin that ultimately condemns us is the sin of unbelief. Right. Because belief gives us forgiveness from all of our other sins. So if we don't believe, then we don't have that forgiveness. Right. Right. That's one of the things I wanted to ask you about. Because So when we read these words from Chemnitz, he talks about, um, you know, uh, that we should pray for uh, deliverance so that we may not die the death of sinners or that we might not die carelessly in our sins. Now, when I first read that, you know, kind of the first thing that comes to mind, at least for me is, uh, like the Roman notion of, uh, you want to make sure you die in a state of grace. Right. Right. So we have this idea where, um, if you die with some, uh, pressing unrepented sin, a, a sin that you haven't asked forgiveness for, then you're not going to die in a state of grace and that endangers your salvation. Uh, but I, I don't think that's what he's saying here. Uh, perhaps we can talk about, uh, you know, a Lutheran way of understanding this. Right. It, we don't, you know, boy, we're ne- if we were to die at any moment, we're, we're always going to have sin in and with us, right? Right. Uh, the, the point here is, are we trusting in Christ? Are we, do we have faith? Mm-hmm. And there's a, Interesting verse in Galatians chapter five, where Paul is talking to people who are starting to head down that path of 
wanting to do good things to get to heaven, what we call works righteousness. And he writes, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. So first off in Lutheranism, we do not teach a one saved, always saved, but neither do we teach that you're in and out of God's favor, you know, like, like a wave, right? Oh, I'm okay with God. I'm not, I'm okay with God. I'm not. People joke about, well, he died in church. He must have gone straight to heaven. You know, that, that type of thing, right? Um, no, if, if you're a child of God, you're a child of God, everything's fine. Mm. We are sinful. We carry that sin with us. We sin daily and much. The point is, if we try to justify ourselves, then we're not letting Christ justify us. If, if we continue down a path that of sin and we, we, and, and the problem with sin is that it pulls away from God, right? Right. And of course, we all sin daily and much, and we ask God to forgive us, and everything's fine. But if we start to walk down a certain path and then keep going, sort of like what David did with with Bathsheba and killing mm-hmm. her husband and stuff, well, then you're you're in trouble. You you're not trusting in God anymore. You're looking to things of this world to give you happiness. Mm-hmm. But that that was a big event. It was huge, and that's the kind of thing that that we need to be aware of in our lives that big things can hurt our relationship with Christ. Sin does and can hurt our relationship with Christ. But it's not like, oh, I'm okay this minute. I'm not okay that. Right. It's, it's that not sense? like we're, yeah, yeah. So the thing we want to avoid is like this notion that like on an hourly basis, we're like falling in and out of the state of grace, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think that's something that, you know, really troubled Luther uh, prior to the Reformation, right? He would go to confession uh, he would confess all the sins he could remember, but on the way home, there's a story that he uh, he forgot to confess something. And now not only did he have the guilt of that sin, but he also had the guilt of not confessing all the sins during the confession. And uh, as the story goes, he was a real nuisance to his uh, confessor. Right? <laughs> yes. It, it. I guess we can tend to think about God sitting up in heaven and waiting for us to mess up. Mm. And he's just ready to zap us or something, right? That's not God. God's loving, merciful, kind, patient, forgiving, very tolerant. Uh, and, and you know, he's called us to be his own children. He, he wants to nurture us in that. And he's not, he's not some strict taskmaster who's, well, he, he punished sin when his son died. Right. There's the punishment for sin. Our sins have been removed. They've been taken care of. We don't have to worry anymore. It's gone. It's gone. Right. 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 So, so we talked about the notion that we, we don't want to be overly concerned to the point where we're paranoid about whether or not we're in a state of grace, but perhaps let's talk about the other extreme. You mentioned that as Lutherans, we don't believe in once saved, always saved. So um, what do you have in mind here? Is there, is there specific sins we can commit that would uh, endanger our, our salvation or, or what does this look like? Well, the one, the one verse that I read from Galatians five is a, is a key example. You who are, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. If you, if you try to, you know, let's say you repent, you trust in Christ, but then you start to be convinced that you need to do something to earn your way into heaven. Well, then in whom are you trusting Mm -hmm. yourself and not Christ? Mm -hmm. That's dangerous. Any other, any sins we commit are dangerous. It, it's simply a matter of, well, they're poison. 
Right. So, so that's why we have to keep looking to Christ and and stay in his word, pray to him, ask for forgiveness, and don't let those sins of this world entice us away from Christ. But again, it's not a minute by minute thing. It's, you know, God's going to reach out and take good hold of us, and which he does, and he's going to hang on to us really tight. But he asks us to hang on to him with all the strength that he gives us. Right, right. So, so having that in mind, it's it's not like we should uh, hope to die like right after we make a confession, right? Uh, when Chemnitz is talking about we should pray for a a, a good death and one where we're prepared, um, he's talking more of like this long term thing, right? We should always, and this kind of goes back to the gospel reading we we just had. Yeah. We don't want to be caught unaware of our death, and we we always want to be in a state of being prepared to die and to face judgment. Right. And um, that's really what he's getting at here. And that's Jesus' words, watch therefore, if you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming, nor do you know the day or the hour when when you're going to die. Right. And and you should always be looking to God all the time anyway. Right. And that that's actually a really interesting point because um, typically when I hear this gospel reading read, uh, the point that's drawn out is we always want to be prepared for Christ's second coming. And of course, uh, that's true. We do want to be prepared for that. But of course, uh, every other Christian in history, uh, at least so far, has died before they've, they've made it to that point. Right. So probably the more likely application would actually be uh, to our own death rather than Christ's uh, second coming here. Right? The statistician would tell you yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> that that's the way it's worked since Christ's ascension. Uh, that that people have just died and that he hasn't returned yet. Um, I I've always just thought that well you know Christ, I I can live to ripe old age and then before I'm die Christ can return and save me that that pain of death. Right. But I think he's going to return when he wants to, not when I want him to. <laughs> right. I, I have that faint suspicion. Uh, but either way, whether it's his return or our death, we need to be prepared for that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And let's um, let's maybe talk a bit about that preparation because I think um, you know while it's important that we uh, prepare for our death and that's something that we we should keep in mind. I, I think it's a benefit that we keep that in mind, right? Uh, for a number of reasons, um, when we think about uh, the life to come and um, you know that glorified state, it gives us a great deal of uh, peace, right? It reminds us that. Our troubles in this life are are temporary, uh, but as we've been reading, it does also serve as a, a warning. And it's it's almost like two sides. We talk about law and gospel a lot, right? And there's almost a law component to this and a gospel component to this. When we think about our own death and we think about preparing for death, you know, in the law sense, we we want to be prepared in the sense that we don't want to be in a state of unrepentant sin, or and we don't want to be um, in a place where we're we're not prepared uh, for judgment, but you know, kind of the gospel side of this, uh, we can also look to death as in a rather hopeful way, right? We can understand that um, our troubles in this life are temporary, and even the things that grieve us the most in this life uh, are going to more or less stay in this life, right? They won't follow us to uh, our glorified state. Right. Neither the bad things will follow us, nor you know, nor the good things. I, I joke. I've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. Mm-hmm, right. So we we can't take good things with us. We can't, and we're not going to take the bad things with us. But the whole idea of death, 
what we should really be afraid of uh, is spiritual death. Mm-hmm. So we can look at death in a few different ways. One, one of them is spiritual death is where our soul or our spirit is separated from God. And and that's that's dying unprepared if you were to die in that state. That's not having forgiveness. That's bearing your own your own sins, right? Spiritual death is the one that is scary. Physical death is the separation of the spirit from the body. And, you know, we, we talked about the, uh, recently talked about the thief on the cross and, and all of that. Well, they buried his body, but, but he went to be with, with Christ in paradise. That's physical death. That, that's scary, but Christ has gone through that for us. He died and he's risen so that we know that when we die, we will rise too. And because he's promised, that's why he came. He gives us that wonderful promise and hope that we will get to be in his house. You know, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that, that I go to prepare a place for you? Well, he has gone to prepare a place for us. And that's a wonderful comfort for us when we die. Mm-hmm. And there's another aspect to death or another way to define death is eternal death, where the, the body and the spirit are separated from God forever. So we really want to make sure that spiritually we're okay and then death has conquered. De- Christ has conquered death, not exactly. the other way around. Yeah, right, right, exactly. And so, um, when, when we talk about this, uh, you know, preparing for death, and um, kind of, you know, we understand that uh, part of the Christian life is being aware of our death and uh, and looking at the things to come and realizing the ramifications of that. Um, I think the extreme that we tend to, at least in modern society, is we don't think about death enough, right? Death is kind of something we try to hide and not think about. Like even when it comes to things like, uh, you know, where we get our our meat, you go to the grocery store. We we don't like to think about like the slaughterhouse. It's, it comes in a nice package. Death isn't something we even have to to think about uh, in our everyday life, and we go to great lengths to make it that way in many cases, right? We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to think about it. And uh, that's one danger, I think, uh, that we face just living in this kind of modern uh, society is uh, a fear or um, a hesitancy to to talk about death or think about our own death. It's not something we, we like to do, right? No, I mean, people even squeal a little bit when there's a little bit of blood in that nice, clean plastic packaging from a steak. Mm-hmm. Do you think this came from what a tree? <laughs> right, right. Blood was shed to get that hamburger in your hands at McDonald's. Right. Blood was shed. We right. do. We have taken that far away from our lives. We institutionalize sickness. We institutionalize death. In Luther's day, and you know, this is one of the things that probably drove Luther a bit around the bend is plagues would come and someone who was perfectly healthy in the morning was, was dead by the end of the day mm-hmm. that it would come on quickly and it would take them and they'd be gone. And the mortality rates, I mean, we, we've been suffering with the pandemic for longer than we want to, uh, you know, over a year and a half now. And it, it, it's a bit of a rude awakening, but for Luther, that would, that those things happened frequently right? and there were no antibiotics and, surgeries, well, if they were done, they probably didn't fix anything. 
Right. And, and you know, sickness came and people died and uh, infant mortality was very high and death during childbearing was very high for both mother and baby. That's right. Yeah. Death in those times was a much more pressing reality. It was much more present than it is for us. And in some ways you see that in the traditional prayers of the church. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned this because um, so if you're unfamiliar with uh, the, you know, way the way that prayer life has been structured in the church for the last uh, several centuries, there's like these seven traditional canonical hours where especially monks would be sure to pray certain prayers at these hours. And um, even in our Lutheran circles, we, we've retained some of that tradition even today. And um, one of my favorite of those traditional prayer times is a uh, night prayer, also called Compline. And um, it's all about uh, kind of what Chemnitz is getting at, uh, preparing yourself uh, not only for sleep, but for death. And there's a lot of interesting right. parallels there. And in the way that uh, most prayer books incorporate, this is really interesting. Um, so the, the way it traditionally opens is um, the Lord Almighty grant us a quiet night and a perfect death. And so it's interesting that these two things are are coupled together. And it's not something that, you know, perhaps we would do if we were kind of reconstructing this in the modern age. But you, you have to, you know, remember what it must have been like to be like a, a farmer in the, you know, 14th century, like out on your own. When night comes, it's pitch black. It's kind of all enveloping. And um, you start thinking about some of the dangers outside your home, I'm sure. And uh, death at night becomes a much more real and present entity than perhaps uh, during the day. And so we can kind of see, I think, why uh, at night um, you start, you know, at least in, in uh, the prayer books, perhaps you start thinking about death a bit more often. Um, but not only that, uh, typically in, uh, during these night prayers, you also uh, have some sort of confession. And in the seven hours, the last one is typically when uh, you would confess your sins. And again, this goes hands in, hand in hand with being uh, prepared at the end of the day, not only for sleep, but uh, for your possible death that night. Yeah. And you see the rhythm here again, and we've talked about the church here and, you know, you, you have a rhythm through the week and our, our week models creation week. And we have a day of rest where we, we, we go to God's word and we get refreshed in our souls. But even the day has a rhythm to it where mm -hmm. you, you know, Christ rose from the dead at, you know, at, at dawn, there's new life, there's new awakening. And, and when you wake up in the morning, it's a new day ahead of you. But as that day comes to its close, as night comes, yeah, it reminds you, well, our lives are like that, that there's a beginning, there's a middle and there's an end. Right. And as we go to lay our heads down at night, yeah, we, we should think about these big things. Right. What's the day? What's the day been like? It is you know, am I still okay in God's eyes? Well, of course we are, because our dear Lord Christ has has died and risen for us, so we're okay. But, but right. it's good to think about it. It's sobering. It is. It is, and I I really like what you said about um, you know not only is there a rhythm to uh, the year, but the week and even the day, because that's kind of what the church calendar is, is all about, right? It it establishes these uh, rhythms or cycles. Uh, to kind of properly orient our thinking and emotions uh, to all these different aspects of uh, the Christian life. And so kind of going back to our first episode, this is one of the reasons we wanted to focus and structure our devotions around uh, the church calendar 
it's these sort of cycles uh, and kind of like it's often been described as sanctifying time in a way, right? It contextualizes right. our ordinary everyday experience and um, it kind of causes us to think about it in a way that um, elevates our minds to, to, to heavenly things. Think about the big things. Mm-hmm. So a day is, is a, a, a miniature life, right? Mm-hmm. You have dawn, you wake up, you do things. And then at the end of it, you close your eyes mm-hmm. and we, you know, even Jesus did, we, we use sleep as a euphemism for death mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. death is, is like a sleep. And for the Christian person, we want to, uh, not be afraid to die. That's right. That we fear the grave as little as we fear our bed. So the hymn put it. That's right. And at at the end of each uh, of our services on Sunday, we typically, um, you know, uh, talk about the song of Simeon, right? Uh, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace. And it's interesting because traditionally uh, that uh, was used in evening prayer. If you go look at uh, pre-Reformation times, um, people would be saying that every night. And it's it's interesting. It's kind of a Lutheran uh, distinctive that we put that at the end of our service on on Sundays. But it's I think equally as appropriate there as it is at the end of the day on uh, you know every time we say night prayer. It is, and it's a good reminder that we we do get to see Christ with the eyes of faith, and that does give us comfort. And we can we can sleep in peace, and we can die in peace because we have that wondrous comfort. Exactly. Exactly. So now that we've talked about uh, keeping death uh, in some ways at the forefront of our minds, let's perhaps talk about uh, the opposite end of the spectrum, which I think is something that perhaps Luther was wrestling more with in his time than we are now. Um, But some people will level the criticism against Christians that we're so focused on the next life that we're of no good in this life. Right? Yeah, the fra- the cutesy phrase is that we're so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. Um, let's briefly talk about that. Like I said, I think the tendency in modern culture is is in the opposite direction. Uh, but there are like specific, uh, maybe communities, but maybe even tendencies in our own lives where um, we can... Uh, overlook the importance of what we're doing in this life uh, in favor of, of what's to come. So we, um, in the Reformation, you know, Luther kind of railed against the monasticism of his day uh, for basically that reason, right? Uh, People were starting to cloister themselves away uh, and um, kind of neglect these acts of charity or acts of love for their neighbor in favor of uh, a purely like intellectual or, or devotional life. And um, I think that's, you know, mostly where this criticism could come into play. We, while we always want to have our own death in mind and we want to be looking forward to the life to come, it's not to say that we should become in any way like nihilistic about our approach to this current life. It's not like this life doesn't mean anything. There are still things to be done here, right? Right. This life is a precious gift. And when God created Adam and Eve, he gave them certain things to do. Now, of course, we understand the fall, the relationship's been broken, the world's suffering from those bad decisions. But still, God calls us to wonderful things, and God gives us life as a gift. And one of the greatest thing privileges we have as Christian people 
is being Christ's representatives and doing Christ's will in, in, in this world. Uh, we've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. One, so we can proclaim his praises, but also so that we can do his will and, and, and help people help people understand the comfort with which we've been comforted. And that's very important. That's very important. We can't minimize that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's not like uh, this life doesn't mean anything. Um, you know, if you take a, uh, a problem, a cl- I took a class on the problem of evil uh, in college and um, I didn't need a class. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but one of the the main criticisms that, uh, non-Christians uh, will present toward the Christian faith is, you know, God could have just like taken us all straight to uh, our glorified state. We wouldn't have to deal with all this suffering and whatnot that we we experience here in this life. And um, so people ask the question, why, why didn't God do that? If, if he's going to like renew creation and we're all going to be living this great life uh, uh, after we die, why, why did we have to go through this at all? Why can't we we just skip all this and kind of go straight there? And I think like the answer to that ultimately lies in that there's there's great importance in this life and what we're doing here. There's work to be done here, whether it's um, you know whether or not our, our sufferings and trials in this life somehow uh, you know cultivate and and prepare us for the life to come. That you know that's that's one potential answer that people give, but ultimately. Evidently, God saw it fit that we do experience this first uh, before entering into glory. And um, perhaps that's all the uh, explanation that that we need. Well, again, God's order is suffering than glory. Mm -hmm. Jesus suffered before he was glorified. Mm -hmm. We suffer before we're glorified. It is an interesting philosophical question. Why, Why are we going through this? What's the point of it? One is so that we can get to know God better and better through his word, through the encouragement of fellow Christians, and that we can tell other people about Christ and the forgiveness that he's won. And in that way, we share in God's work that God gives us this wonderful privilege to participate in his work, his work of spreading the message, his, well, what's the most godly thing we can do is to forgive people. And, and to talk to them about the forgiveness which Christ has won. That's a very godly thing. It is important. So let's say you, you went to the emergency room and the doctor had the attitude, you have a broken arm, and the doctor had the attitude that sadly a lot of Christian people have. Well, it really doesn't matter what I do. God's going to work it out anyway. What if the doctor took that attitude and looked at you and said, well, you know, it really doesn't matter what I do and God's going to work that out anyway. Right. You look at me and think, hey, doc, my arm hurts. Help me. (laughs) Okay. We Christian people have to understand that what we do makes a difference. Exactly. That we can bring encouragement to people's lives. We can bring hope to people's lives. We can introduce them to the creator of the universe, to to the God-man who dies on the cross. We can make a difference the way the doctor makes a difference setting someone's arm or helping alleviate their pain. But we tend to be a bit defeatist, especially depending on where we live. Being Christian isn't very popular. Uh, people don't want to hear what we have to say. And that, of course, just makes the job harder. And it, But remember, it doesn't make the job less important. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's really 
what we have to keep in mind when we kind of think about this balancing act of uh, overemphasizing death and only focusing on the life to come or not thinking about death at all and only focusing on this life. It's, it's kind of a narrow line to walk in some ways. Um, and I think, you know, walking that line is ultimately what kind of keeps us sober minded as, as, as Christians, right? We, we have death in our mind. We know it's coming. Uh, we know that these miseries and trials that we experience here will ultimately go away after death. And as, as Kemet said, um, death is our passage out of this veil of misery and into eternal life. But at the same time, we recognize that we have a job to do here and we don't neglect that job because we're only looking ahead to the next life. And this is one thing that you've always taken care to emphasize that I, I really appreciate. Um, Christianity isn't a faith where, uh, you know, we have to wait until after we die to gain our salvation, right? We're, we're right. saved right now, even in this life. And in many ways, we're reaping the benefits of our salvation now and here. And we don't have to wait for our death, uh, you know, for all these good things uh, to come to us, right? Right. I, I use the phrase now, but not yet. Right. We have forgiveness. We have God's kingdom. We have entrance into the Father's house. We haven't realized it, but we have it. It's ours. And that should mold and shape and form and direct our lives here because it's great. So, you know, think about this for a minute. Everything that you've done wrong, Christ is forgiven. Mm-hmm. Everything you're going to do wrong, Christ has forgiven. So what's left? The good things you do in him, empowered by him, guided by the Holy Spirit. That's your life. What a privilege. It's it's. Yes, I look forward to that that wonderful time in heaven. But as you say, right now we have it. We have Christ. We have the fellowship of of other Christians. We have we have life now. Because think back about those three types of death: the spiritual death, where the soul is separated from the from the body; physical death, sorry, spiritual death, where the soul is separated from God; physical death, where the soul is separated from the body; and eternal death where the body and soul are separated from God forever. Well, we're okay because our souls are joined to Christ. Right. We have spiritual life. We have that now. That's a precious gift and comfort. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven to realize that. Exactly. We have it now. We have it now. Exactly. What a That's blessing. That's one of the great hopes and peace we have as Christian people. Yeah. Yeah. And we want to share that. Exactly. I had um, pulled up a hymn. And we were talking about death and evening time and things like that. And I, there are some wonderful evening hymns. One of them, of course, is very, very well known is Abide With Me. And like, I'd like to read a couple of the stanzas. I'm not going to read all of it. And, uh, and I'm surely not going to sing for you. <laughs> you can thank me later. Abide with me, fast falls the eventide. The darkness deepens, Lord, with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, O oh, abide with me. Jumping down a bit. Swift to its close ebbs out life's little day. Earth's joys grow dim, its glories pass away. Change and decay and all around I see, O oh, thou who changest not, abide with me. I fear no foe with thee at hand to bless. Ills have no weight and tears no bitterness. 
Where is death's sting? Where grave thy victory? I triumph still if thou abide with me. In the last stanza, hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks and earth's vain shadows flee. In life, in death, O Lord, abide with me. Amen. And that's the comfort, right? Indeed. Indeed. And so uh, I'll close this out as I typically do with uh, a collect of the day. Please. And I will just put our um, good shepherd window up to remind us that that uh, we are always in the arms of the good shepherd, right? Very good. Lord God, Heavenly Father, thank you for those who have taught us your truth. Through your precious word, you prepare us for the coming of your son to lead home his bride, the church, that with all the company of the redeemed, we may finally enter his, to, to, to his eternal wedding feast. Through the same Jesus Christ, your son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.